You are listening to the Entrepreneurial Thought Leader Series, brought to you weekly by the Stanford Technology Ventures Program. You can find podcasts and video clips of these lectures online at edcorner.stanford.edu. I'm really excited today to be able to introduce somebody whose um, work as an entrepreneur has actually changed my life um, and changed the life of a lot of us who are always wondering how our favorite websites are doing on the web. His name is Brett Crosby. He's an entrepreneur who actually started life as a surfer. He says he learned to surf in Southern California, Orange County, and San Diego. I'm not going to tell you anything more about him because he's a guy who I'd really like to have you learn about through his own discussion of his, uh, his exploits. So Brett, welcome to Stanford. We're delighted to have you here. Brett Crosby. Wonderful. Thank you, Tom. And thank you, everyone. Um, my dad went to Stanford. My grandma went to Stanford. So I didn't go to Stanford. But they would be very happy to see me here. And I'm sure they're looking down somewhere and being very happy about this. So speaking to Stanford students. Um, so I'm Brett Crosby. I'm currently the group product marketing manager for Google Analytics. Um, and this is what Google Analytics lo looks like. We do all kinds of wacky things. This is a map, although you can't see it very well. Uh, we tell you where your visitors come from. If, I'm just giving you an idea of what analytics is, because it's kind of key to the talk. I'm not trying to pitch you on the product here. So anyhow, it tells you how people got to your site, kind of what they did on your site. This is showing some funnels of how traffic goes through your site, and if they then convert on one of your goals. Um, and then we also overlay it over your site and all kinds of other great things. But again, this, is, this talk today is one of the few I do that isn't about Google Analytics. Usually all my talks at trade shows and other places are about this. Today my talk's about Urchin and how we went from this small company in San Diego, Urchin, to Urchin from Google, and then now Google Analytics. And these four characters are key to the story. Two of them are here today. I'm over there in the light blue and the this uh, over there. And then uh, my brother who's over on the far corner is in the far corner of the room also. That's Scott Crosby. Um, he also works at Google because we were all acquired together. And um, so I'll answer some of those questions about that. I'll also answer the question about why about half an hour before I walked down the aisle at my wedding, I was signing the papers to sell Urchin to Google. With fully in my tuxedo, a Pacifico on one hand, cold feet on the other. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> trying to warm them up. Um, and uh, why one year after I, we were acquired, I was doing this surfing uh, on a surf trip in Indonesia um, uh, with a bunch of my buddies on a boat for two weeks. That's definitely worthwhile if you haven't done it. But this is the urchin story, so I'm going to focus on that a little bit. Um, it all started here. This is a photo uh, from when we were kids. Who can guess which one I am? Anyone? This guy here? No, I'm the guy in the Cardinal. Come on, this is a Stanford presentation. <laughs> this is me. But it's really USC colors. See, that? that's, that's actually where I went. So. Um, anyhow, but this is, uh, this is my brother, Scott. And you can see the whole urchin and fish theme is kinda, was early on in our childhood here. And this guy over here, it turns out, was one of our other co-founders and CEO at the time, this guy here. His name is Paul Murray. We're standing on our driveway as kids. Paul literally lived like right here across the street. So the reason I want to point this out is, you know, this is our kind of founding story. But, you know, your founding story may be very similar. You might start, the, you know, a company with some of your friends, some of your family members. Um, very possibly some people that are in this class here today. One of the other guys we added, if I back up a slide, this guy here, Jack Ancon. He was a fraternity brother of mine in college at SC, and a great guy, very smart guy. He was doing, um, I don't know, uh, real estate finance for you know, these huge corporate deals and stuff, and we pulled him into the company. So uh, in the beginning, what happened with Urchin? Well, before there was Urchin, we started out doing a company called uh, Web Depot. And actually, Scott and Paul had started this company before I ever got on board. I was up in L.A. doing some other stuff in the web space. And they were building websites. And I was disenfranchised with L.A., and I moved down there and said, all right, let's do some 
um, some websites, and I already sent them some business, so we started working together. And we built Urchin as an internal tool to monitor bandwidth, because back then bandwidth was really expensive, right? So, and now bandwidth is pretty cheap, and you, know, you can get it everywhere. Uh, but back then, um, that's how Urchin started. We were doing site design and hosting out of a closet. This is about 95, 96, when you could do that before all the huge data centers kind of came out and that whole thing. Um, and then we became quantified web systems. We sold off the other parts of the business and focused on uh, focused on Urchin. We built we had built this tool and really how we made the transition is that um, we, a lot of our customers uh, tended to be some fairly big, sophisticated customers in San Diego. Other agencies in LA and stuff had heard about us, like uh, Ruben Poster Interactive, who all we, who does all the Honda advertising. They had heard about the scalability of this product, and they were they were doing things like, uh, uh, you know, Honda was spending, I think it was like six million dollars a year online at the time, and they had no idea what the return was. In fact, they were using other log file analysis products that would read the logs, take over 24 hours of data process, and provide information, and they were six months behind. So they were spending all this money, had zero visibility, even to how much traffic they were getting to the site. They heard that we had this product that was super fast, and we said, yeah, try it out. We haven't tried it commercially yet, just for our own use with our customers. And uh, they said, you know, long story short with that is that uh, uh, it worked very well. Within two weeks, we had them fully caught up, and it took about an hour a day to process. So we knew we had something. We said, wow, of all the other kind of analytics products in the space, and it was called, there was no real term for the space at the time, um, but all these other products were very, very slow, and we had something very, very fast. And a, and a large part of that is that this guy back here, Paul, <laughs> you know, when we were all in like elementary school, uh, chuckling around, taking some math courses, learning our, you know, multiplication tables, he's going to junior high already doing math, and you know, junior high, he's going to high school, high school, he's going to um, the local community colleges and doing math, or UCI, I think, maybe at the time. By the time he got to UCI, he was work, doing, like, work for NASA grants and that sort of thing. So very, very bright guy. He did the foundational engineering on the project. Another thing to think about, if you're an entrepreneur on the business side, get some smart people on the engineering side. It helps. Um, so that's sort of the beginning and how we became quantified. And then later we decided to change the name to Urchin Software Corporation. We thought Quantified would be good because we might have, you know, our, our, the people we were looking at at the time were like uh, Macromedia and Adobe and software companies had multiple suites of products. Nowadays, you look around, everyone's got one product. It doesn't matter. But back then it seemed like everyone had these suites of products. So we experimented with a, with a suite of products, and we found that we could barely focus on one well enough to uh, do a really good job with it. So we dropped those other ones and, and just focused on that. And this is where we office down in San Diego. Um, we did our own tenant improvements. There's a photo of that, and then Sunset. I think Scott took these photos a long time ago. Uh, I don't recommend doing your own tenant improvements. We, we spent about, I don't know, three months. We pretty much shut down the business, and just at night we would do a few emails. And uh, we were doing drywall and <laughs> the whole thing. Breathing dust. You know, we, we had these brick walls that we wanted... There was paint on them. We wanted the brick look. We sanded down the brick, and, you know, I'm sure we've got pink lung from doing that. I don't recommend doing that. Um, but the way we really started to succeed as a company, when we first actually started to have something, um, we focused on Urchin, and we started selling. Um, we, actually, our first kind of big customer was this thing called NetTaxi, and I'll show you that a little bit later. Um, but then it was Earthlink. And this is back in like 97, 98, when Earthlink was huge. Everyone thought Earthlink was like going to be this huge thing. Their stock price was skyrocketing. They were kind of like AOL and Earthlink, you know, were kind of comparable. And um, it's funny where things are now. But nevertheless, uh, I got Earthlink by literally typing on their web form hey, we have a product we think you should take a look at, blah, blah. I wrote up this great email I thought was really well-crafted, put it in the web form, no response. A week later, copy and pasted it back in the web form, no response. My third time I did it, exactly the right guy in the company I needed to talk to. 
emailed me back and said, send me a demo and a white paper. That's it. And so we didn't have a demo and we didn't have a white paper. <laughs> um, <laughs> but pretty quickly, within a few, you know, a day or two, we did. And uh, so then we got it to him. And then we set up some meetings. And, um, uh, you know, that, that deal probably took about six months to, to finally ink. And that was our first really big deal. And um, uh, what it proved is the scalability of the product. They had something like a quarter million or so, at the time, customers doing hosting. And we were able to process all those customers within a day. Um, and then they had like a million customers on a free farm. That, uh, so they paid us for the paid customers, the, the installations there. And we tried to do a banner ad model on the other ones, which was kind of our early business model. Uh, I was going to touch on it later, but I might as well talk about it now. And you know, who would have thought like banner ads or you know advertising could support a software company? Obviously, it's a ridiculous notion. <laughs> well, we finally perfected it at Google, I guess. I don't know, but anyhow. Um, so at that point, we actually, when we had Earthlink, then we shifted and we had a fully paid-for product, and we didn't do any more banner ads in the product. Um, and then we were working with cable and wireless. Uh, right about the same time that, that Earthlink closed. The interesting thing there is that uh, they were hosting massive sites in the other, or mass, massive amounts of data, but instead of like a, a ton of small sites, they were hosting extremely large individual sites, and a lot of them. Guys like, you know, um, American Airlines, Coke, The Gap, really big sites. And we proved our scalability there as well. Um, and the cable and wireless deal was our first huge revenue deal for our company. It was a, for us, it was a huge revenue deal. It was a seven-figure deal. It was a million-dollar deal. Um, and that, for us, became the model for how we would do deals. We would go to these really large data centers, and we would say to them, hey, we've got this great product. Um, your customers need it. The, the more savvy your customers are, the better they're, you know, they're going to do online, and they're going to be upsold from your copper package, your silver package, to your you know, or bronze, silver gold package, right? And so the, the host really liked this idea, and so they uh, would provide these, these services to them. Uh, one other incidental thing is that, uh, I don't know if you saw, this is one of our ads that we're looking at right now, showing off who some of our customers were. Does anyone recognize this artwork here? Well, no, yeah, well, it's sort of like a takeoff on that, but I'm talking about the artist who kind of did this. It's a very kind of particular style. It's definitely more kind of like a college thing. Um, but it's the same guy who did this poster, Shepard Ferry. It's not, it's not Obama. It's a, a Shepard Ferry, the artist who did this. <laughs> um, and incidentally, the, reason, the way we got him to do our ads is, first of all, I built his first website for him. He didn't have a website at the time. And um, then we hosted it, and uh, we did it in trade. And this guy's gone on to, I don't know if, he's the guy that does the Obey Giant stuff. No one? Anyone? A couple people? You guys are hip. The rest of you, come on, get with it. Um, anyhow, uh, no, but you know, and he was a really good guy. He's a he's a, a friend of ours still, and you know, obviously, he's gone places. He's done ads for you know all these major companies. Um, a lot a lot of things happened in our history. Uh, before the dot com crash, there, we have kind of an interesting story. What we have here is a, a photo of the Windstar blimp. And to me, this epitomizes the dot-com bu bubble. And there's a reason for this. Not only was it because you know people are out there buying blimps, but when we were negotiating a deal with Windstar, we had this multi-million dollar deal over multiple years. And it, it was a contract that took us probably eight months to negotiate. We were into the very fine points of the deal, and they were trying to rewrite the contract in the final hour. The guy who was negotiating it, Jack, on our team, was literally, it was like two days before Christmas. He was trying to fly home. He was in tears trying to get this deal done. It took two days and, uh, uh, of just like negotiating over like, you know, what does is mean or something like that. <laughs> Meanwhile, the blimp is circling our houses the entire two days. I, I can't imagine it was anything but a coincidence, but like, you know, we would walk outside and there's the blimp. <laughs> and he's on the phone with our deal guys. And there's no, you know, who knows, maybe they had, it's telco, maybe they had the uh, phone information. I, I don't think so. I just think it was a total coincidence. But to me, it was like one of those things that were like, you know, one day we'll look back at this and laugh. <laughs> uh, 
Um, but what happened shortly thereafter was actually very tragic. Of course, 9-11 happened. And we, you know, the thing about 9-11 for us is that we were in the middle of a, uh, uh, a funding round. And so Nali was obviously super tragic and everything else. The guy that was going to, our, our deal was inked. It was papered, completely done. The guy was flying out to sign and finish the deal. We moved the meeting up one day. He flew out on September 10th from Boston. And he you know, woke up in the morning. We went to go have the meeting. And he's like, we're done. Like, and so like, deal over. We, we were like in the red. All of, all of the senior people in our company had focused on getting the deal done not focused on you know, the revenue of the company, because we're like, yeah, we got all this money coming in. What do we care about that for now, right? Because we're going to burn into the red anyway. So what, what, obviously what happened for the entire country, but definitely for us, is it was a pretty dark time, right? So we, um, we had layoffs in our company. We had a Japanese office of like 20 people. We had to cut that office. Um, and we retooled all of our business models. We, Scott and I both took salary cuts um, down to, I think, about $40,000 a year or something like that for about a year. Um, yeah, it was rough. It was rough times. But what came out of it was actually pretty positive because two things are interesting. We retooled all of our business models, and we, we took what used to be like six months of negotiations per data center deal and chopped it down to, and it was about like a 30-page agreement, with all kinds of clauses and this and that and all this crap. We, we chopped the whole thing down to two pages, like a one, one sheet of paper, front and back, sign, done. No negotiation. We gave on all the points that people were negotiating us on. It was $5,000 per physical data center per month. You could have as much urchin as you want. See, our goal was not to get every dime out of every customer. It was to be the most dominant web analytics product on the market. Um, and to do that, we had to make it really scalable, uh, not only from the back-end technology, but also from a front-end perspective. We had to make it so that the user using the product could get in there and actually understand what they were doing rather than you know, having to call us every 10 minutes and say, what does this mean? How come, you know, whatever. So we built in all kinds of help into the product and um, you know, tried to make the product really intuitive and, and uh, you know, something you could just run yourself. We also came out with, uh, after several meetings with people up here in the Valley, it, was, it became pretty clear that um, installed software was not necessarily the way to go. And that's, that had been our model for a long time. So we, we switched, you know, these seem like really dumb and obvious ideas, but at the time it wasn't quite so obvious. But we switched, it, it started to become very obvious to an ASP model. And that's where we needed to go. So that's what we did. And we became uh, pretty dominant. We had all the major hosting companies um, using, uh, using Urchin, and many of them still do. Many of them still provide it today. I'd, I'd say it's, it's still the most dominant on the market. The other thing we did is we started to mature our brand. And the important thing about maturing the brand for us is that we started to use the things that we had at our disposal. And, and this, this, this is something that I would definitely suggest to anyone. Get a good copywriter and get a good graphics guy. The graphics, you want a graphics guy who can do website stuff, who can do uh, you know, uh, print ads, who can do uh, cl you know, collateral and stuff like that. You need to have, you know, if, and the, um, if you can get someone who's really good and you can elevate your, the look of your company and get a, like a decent trade show booth and get out there and start speaking, getting on the circuits, you can start looking a lot bigger than you are. Uh, and it's, it's just important because people take you a lot more seriously. I'm sure there's a lot to talk about with that. but um, Anyhow, here we moving on. Uh, I should point out the reason I, I have this slide about the trade show booth is this is actually how we got acquired by Google. We were at Search Engine Strategies in San Jose in 04. And this guy walked up to the booth with this other guy whose age was very hard to pinpoint. Turns out the guy was 24 years old at the time. They walk up to the booth and they said, hey, we're from Google. Um, we're kind of interested in what you guys are doing. Can you show us some of this stuff? And I happened to be working at the booth at the time. 
And so I said, sure, let me show you this stuff. I said, you know, by the way, I know Google has a you know, competing service called AdWords Conversion Tracking. You guys don't work on that, right? And then, oh, no, 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 we don't work on that. Well, it turns out this guy was the PM for that product. <laughs> and the other guy was a corp dev guy. And they're like, no, we're just you know, kind of doing some business development. We're just interested in what you're doing. So I told them exactly what we were doing and gave them all kinds of secrets, which had I known what, uh, what they were really doing, I wouldn't have told them anything. But that wouldn't have worked out so well either. So what, what ended up happening is that we went to Google later that afternoon, right before what uh, is called the Google Dance, which is this party that we host every year at Search Engine Strategies, which I had attended a couple years before and was trying to tell people, hey, you guys should acquire us. And everyone's like, yeah, whatever. And then it turns out this guy came along, Wesley Chan, and he, he actually had the vision and the foresight that, hey, Google should be in the web analytics business. Um, so we went to Google uh, for this meeting. I was so... You know, I was I had been presenting in meetings for several years. You know, we've been doing this for up at this point up until about eight or nine years. Been doing this type of thing. I got in that meeting. I couldn't say a word. I was just so nervous because of the possibility of what this could turn into. And this for us was like you know grand slam home run. We had family investment in the company. We had almost done a full VC round, which uh, we ended up just doing angel and kind of friends and family rounds. And uh, you know, it, the company for a while was teetering on bankruptcy at the, at, at the time of this deal, the acquisition coming along. We had a million dollars banked. And no one does that anymore. But w within like two years, we'd two or three years, we'd completely turn the company around. And we had, um, within like three days, we were covering, you know, the three days in, into every month, we were covering the bottom line of the business. It was a very profitable business. So we were like, you know, thrilled about it, but at the same time, we were running the business fairly conservatively. I would also suggest, maybe on hindsight, probably not be that conservative with your capital. But you know, it's easy to say now. You know, we're in like another very, uh, well, fairly optimistic time in the, at least in the valley. And um, uh, you know, um, it seemed very wise at the time. And we'd been through it. We've seen we'd seen a lot of companies go under, and we didn't want to suffer that same fate. And if you've ever done lay layoffs, which no one even knows what that is, although I probably shouldn't mention that one. But anyway, so uh, the some people do now. Um, but uh, we didn't want to have to do that again. You, you never want to go through laying people off. Probably worse laying people off than being laid off. Um, so try and avoid that one. But, you know, so the deal was finally getting done. We th this was August 04. We thought, oh, sure, by Christmas time, this deal will be inked. This deal dragged out, just like our old hosting deals, until April of 2005. <laughs> Meanwhile, I was getting married April 16th, right? And so, you know, part of the deal was we were going to, we, and we weren't allowed to tell anyone. The deal, the, part of the deal with Google was, if the deal gets out that we're trying to acquire you, if, if, if people know about it, we're going to walk. About 10 days before the deal was inked, or supposed to be inked, John Battelle calls me on my cell phone and sends me an email. I happened to be in the shower, fortunately. And so I was listening to the voicemail and checking my email before I was going to work. And at the same time, hearing and seeing, hey, we understand you're getting acquired by Google. I'm going to write about it today, wondering if you want to comment. So... <laughs> I was like, this is not good. <laughs> um, so I called up some people at Google that we've been working with, and I said, uh, the deal's it's going to leak. So it's kind of do or die time. They circled up. Several people said, it's die time. Don't do the deal. Fortunately, guys like Wesley prevailed and got the deal done. And the deal actually closed on April 20th of 2005. April 16th is when I was, I told you I'd get back to this. I was getting married. And so that's why I was at my wedding four days before inking the thing. The interesting thing about it, though, is that four days before that was the first time we could tell anyone, by the way, we're going to acquired by Google. It's going to be a fun wedding. I'm going on my honeymoon, and as soon as I get back, I'm out of here, moving to San Francisco. Oh, by the way, so is the entire company. <laughs> so... That was a surprise to many people. 
But I think some people were suspicious because we did register for crap that we already had. And so people were wondering, like, what? why are you getting another toaster? You have a toaster. Right? <laughs> and then they realized, oh, I see. You're moving to San Francisco. Our plan was to keep our house in San Diego, which we ended up doing, but we moved everything out of there. But we did end up getting a lot of double stuff because of that. So anyway, and then uh, we moved up to Google, which was, you know, uh, it's been an incredible journey. It's been an awesome thing. Um, this is a lot of the team. Some people aren't here. I'm not in the picture. Does anyone know? Can anyone say why I'm not in the photo? That's a, I knew some people were going to guess that. Who else? Someone said it? No, that was a year after. Honeymoon? That's right. I was on my honeymoon. You win a prize. I'll show you in a minute. Wife's garter. No, not my wife's garter. Um, and so there we are. And so then a year later, I'm doing this. And the reason I wanted to show this photo again of surfing in Indonesia and being on this boat is that this, someone asked me, one of our sales guys once said, you know, so what makes Brett Crosby tick? Like, what motivates you to go and, like, do all this stuff? And I was like, only a sales guy would ask that. But I'll answer it nonetheless. You know, I want to build this company and then go surf the world, right? Get rich and surf the world. It was kind of my, uh, I don't know youthful answer, I guess. And he, I said, how about you, Ben? You know? And he said, oh, uh, I wanna, you know, I'm just doing this for my daughters. I was like, damn, I'm shallow. <laughs> but you know, of course, it did turn out, whatever, I was getting married, so I wasn't able to go surf the world for good, but for a little while anyway. And the reason I pointed out also is to say that, look, it's like, it doesn't matter what your motivation is. It's good to have something that you're trying to get done, right? You want to have a goal in mind when you're doing this stuff because you're going to miss, you know, you guys are presumably in this because you want to go become entrepreneurs, right? And you want to go out there and build a company and get bought by Google or whomever or just build it up and be the next Google. Sorry, I mean, that's probably exactly why you're here. Um, uh, and, you know, buy Google or something. So that'd be great. Hopefully I can work for you then, too. <laughs> um, but this was my goal, you know, and this is something that, and it's, of course, as soon as you achieve your goal, things change, and life throws you curveballs, and you end up doing different things. Um, and now I'm expecting a daughter of my own this coming April, actually right around the time when the deal went through. Everything happens right there in April. I don't know why. Um, but anyhow, so uh, it's interesting to see how this whole thing comes full circle. Um, now that we're at Google, this is one of the graphs that uh, someone had what, what, what I'm showing here for people on the audio side of things is that, um, uh, let's see, who did this? Um, someone, a, a Jupiter research analyst, showed this at SES Chicago 2004. This is a search engine strategy show. It's a uh, kind of regional conference thing. Or not regional, it's all over the place now, but um, about search engines, obviously. And what they were showing is like, um, as you, this is a spend on search engine marketing, and this is, um, sophistication over time. You go from being unsophisticated to sophisticated right after you adopt analytics. And your spend on, um, once you adopt analytics, you, your spend on uh, the search engines, on search engine marketing, goes up significantly. There's an S curve. This was the theoretical model of what would happen if um, people just got analytics. And so we said, when we got to Google, we said, well, maybe we should test this theory. If we push it out there for free, and a lot more people adopt analytics than were before, maybe it'll actually impact revenue a little bit. Turns out it was true. It worked. It's working extremely well. Uh, we give it away for free. It's something that's very beneficial to everyone. And the benefit we, that Google gets out of it, aside from doing good things, and, you know, I mean, so the, the non-altruistic benefit is that search spend does increase if people use analytics. The altruistic benefit is it's actually really good for the entire ecosystem, right? Because if you're a site owner and you can understand what people are doing on your site, you're going to say, wow, okay, these ads aren't working. These ones are. And these ones work really well. People are falling off of my site here. Let me improve that. You can optimize that entire process. You're going to get a much happy, happier visitor, and they're going to turn into a customer. So that's your reward as a site owner. Google's reward, of course, is that people end up spending more. Plus, you get happier people happier end users because they come and do a search, they find something, you know, they click on an ad, and the ad is exactly what they were looking for and they end up buying. So the whole ecosystem is improved by this. 
and I think pretty drastically, actually. So, um, so here we are at Google. This is what it looks like. Life at Google is good. You guys probably know. Everyone knows about the food. I don't need to talk about that, right? I mean, you guys all follow Google, do you? I mean, I figure being at Stanford, it's got to be like the thing, right? <laughs> not, I mean, I'm not saying that because I'm a Google person. I'm just saying, I mean, you guys are Stanford people, so I got to assume that's the. Anyway, maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> okay, so um, the food's good. Parties are good. They take us on ski trips. Is me nice, huh? <laughs> um, and I want to do. I'm, I'm actually kind of at a breaking point, but I, and then I have a few lessons learned. I'll walk through, but I wanted to show you guys something I think is kind of cool. This is something at Urchin we never actually used, but a friend of ours did this animation for us, and so I want to use it now. We don't have the rights to that song, which is why we never use it. <laughs> um, pretty sweet, though, huh? That was Jim Bradbury. He's off. He, he built a separate company after this, sold it. He's doing great. Um, but he did that for us a long time ago. And I thought it was cool. Okay, so I can do questions now. Or look at that, right on the half hour, pretty good. Or um, I can go into my lessons learned. Maybe I'll. I don't know. What do you guys want to do? Throw out, anyone have questions immediately, or should I do lessons learned? Lessons learned, then. By the way, while I'm doing this part, feel free to throw something out there. I'm like interrupt-driven. and I always interrupt, so feel free to do it to me. So one of my lessons learned was, uh, I thought this might be useful to you guys. This is why I'm doing the lessons learned. If it's not, you guys all want to like start companies, right? This is why we're here, right? Go big. I, you know, Urchin wasn't that big, but it was reasonable. And now we've done even bigger with Google Analytics, and we, we did okay. Um, and I would say from a business model standpoint, go big. Um, and I also have acquisition. That's a note to myself to talk about that for the second point. Business models, um, you know, we could have done the other direction, where instead of trying to scale something to a lot of sites, uh, we could have focused on individual sites and sold the product for like $100,000 per installation. And there are certainly companies that do that in our space, in the web analytics space, and they do very, very well. So that's definitely a way to go. But a company, a company like that, it's unlikely would be acquired by Google. We started a company before Google ever existed. So it's not as though we created this model to get acquired by Google, right, with this kind of incredible foresight. Turns out we just thought it was a good way to go. And we had this competitive advantage with um, the speed of the technology, right? Uh, so that's the reason we did this. But it actually tended, it, once Google did come along, it worked extremely well to kind of bolt on to their other offerings. We didn't have to retool Google's models or our own models too much when we rolled it out for free. Because we'd worked on making the product you know, available in, in multiple languages and then also um, as easy to use as possible. That's one of the things we really tried to do. The other thing from an acquisition standpoint, when we were looking at our potential suitors or uh, acquirers, it was Google. There was a company called Website Story that was very interested in us, and there was a handful of others. Our CEO at the time, who was Paul, the red-haired kid in the back that I was showing earlier, he didn't even want to talk to Google. He wouldn't even respond to their emails because he's like, there's no way that deal is going to happen. Let's focus on this other one over here. Scott and Jack and I got Paul in a room, and we said, Paul, listen. <laughs> I understand where you're coming from, and we kind of got burned on that funding round, and there's some other things that make us want to focus on the conservative thing. But the Google deal, we ha you know, that's the deal we're going to do, and we're going to chase that one down until it's dead before we focus on these other ones. And Paul kind of said, okay, and he saw the light and saw that we were very serious about that. And he, he relented and said, okay, great. So then we did focus on Google, and sure enough, it, it worked out. Um, but sometimes going bid gets you in trouble. As I mentioned about our Japanese office, we, had, we, we thought, hey, let's do it. We had to cut that, and that was unfortunate. Um, but nevertheless, I think it's better you know, to, to try 
and go bigger than, than not to. That said, also keep it legal. Back in the, uh, in the bubble days, and we'd meet with these big telcos and stuff, and I didn't really understand what they were asking about at the time. I was kind of naive, I have to say. And they would get us in the room and say, you know, I think we're going to do this deal. It sounds good. Aren't there services you need to buy from us? Like, is, don't, don't you need to buy some hosting and some servers and stuff like that? We're like, no, it isn't. I don't think we need any. Thanks, though. <laughs> and uh, maybe there's something. And, you know, after this whole, all these scandals came out about what was happening, there was all this vendor financing, right, where they would buy our products for, like, you know, I'll just make up a number, but say, like, $21 million. And really, the deal would have been a million-dollar deal. And then they say, but you buy $20 million worth of servers from us and hosting space to host all your applications within our data center. We're very fortunate we didn't take those sorts of deals. Uh, had we not been naive enough to not you know, see what was going on or too naive to see what was going on, we may very well have been tempted. I hope we would not have taken those deals. But um, you know, the, the benefit of doing those things is it looks like you know, then you go out for funding in all these public markets and you look like you have a balance sheet doing you know, $500 million a year or something. Well, when these guys all went belly up, you know, you can imagine what would happen. Uh, their collections departments would say, like, give us that $21 million, and we'd say, well, you give us that 20 so we can pay you the, you know, or, or whatever. They'd ask for the 20 We'd say, give us the 21 so we can give you the 20 and they're like, oh, we don't have that money. We're in bankruptcy, but go ahead and pay us. And that definitely would have put us out of business. So I, de I definitely recommend not doing that. The other one is to build a good team. Um, I already mentioned some of the folks we were working with, really very smart people. Jack's a great negotiator. Scott's got a great head for business. Paul, very technically savvy. We had a, a member on our team when we were doing the cable and wireless deal. Again, one of our first really big deals, we thought at the time. Everything was down to the final last minute. And they said, oh, by the way, we need a uh, Windows version of your product for this deal to work. So we don't have a Windows version of the, of the product. It's all Unix-based stuff. Uh, all right, well, if you wanted to get this deal done, we need a Windows-based. So we came back and we told the engineers, hey, we need a Windows version. Our lead engineer says, that's impossible. <laughs> we said, well, we have a million-dollar check waiting on the other end of this. Not for you, for the company. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if we even mentioned that last part, because what happened was... That was a Friday afternoon. We got back in Monday morning. He had the Windows version of the product done. Very solid engineer. <laughs> Maybe that's when we broke it to him that the million wasn't for him. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, he's still with us at Google. His name's Nathan. Great engineer. Great guy. A legend in, in our group for doing this exact deal. The other one, as I mentioned, you know, get some good graphics guys and good copywriters. I think it helps a lot. It really helps you build your brand, gives you that professional edge. You don't have to do it if you're like an edgy startup coming out, but as your company matures a little bit, you know, it's, it's very handy to have. And, you know, we had th that sort of thing. It was our login page. This was like our trade show booth here. Um, and there are all kinds of other things I'll show in a second. Okay. Another lesson learned Act big, but stay humble. So here's a photo of me acting big in our little teeny booth <laughs> off in the corner at some trade show. Uh, everyone else, you know, they ship their booth. Some truck pulls up. Some guys in the union get out and set up their booth. We, we carried it on the plane. We're like, <laughs> we're the guys setting it up and tearing it down. And, you know, the three of us are like sharing a room at the Ramada or something like that, right? <laughs> But meanwhile, we're like at these shows, and we have to have this big presence and act like we're the biggest company in the in the place. And I think that's part of it is to try and is to try and um, look professional at least, and put on that professional persona. Get out there and do the speaking gigs in um, the space you're in. It's it's very important. And for us, we would if we weren't at that SES San Jose show. I think that was about the extent of the shopping Google was doing when they were looking in this space. Who's at the show? Let's go look around. We can drive down the street and see who it is. Great. That day we were meeting with them, and from then we were doing a deal. So, you know, had we not been at the show, who knows? 
Another lesson learned is to try new business models. Here's a here's a picture of our. Uh, this is when we first did a deal with Net Taxi of what for what a urchin looked like. And you can see at the top. Usually this would all be blue, by the way, all the yellow space. But uh, at the top, we had this uh, banner ad, and that was our that was our first business model was to do an you know ad supported web analytics product. And interestingly enough, lots of them are starting up right now, all ad supported. Not necessarily everyone that's starting up, but there are several that are ad-supported starting now, which I find, I don't know, I guess it's, I don't know, maybe it's ironic, I don't know what it is exactly, but it's, it's, it's interesting nonetheless. The other thing, actually, that I should point out with this thing is that, uh, you know, trying to stay creative. Uh, this thing here, we would do an urchin of the day. Well before Google started playing with their logo on their homepage, we were, uh, we were doing it up here, and you could do an urchin of the day and have that change, and I'll show you an example of that in a minute. Um, but back on the business model points and staying, um, you know, switching it around and stuff like that. This was a business model that actually worked very, very well for us. Uh, we had tried to sell, you know, we tried the ad supported, we tried just selling the software outright, but what we realized is that there were all these different kind of installations that people could do, and we didn't want to limit people that had just like a, a site, you know, a small server with a site they wanted to put it on. We wanted to make it inexpensive for them. But then, you know, when some big company would come to us, they were like, "What do you mean it's 895 bucks? I want the I want the robust version." So we'd say, "Okay, well, uh, you can buy this campaign track module for another 4,000, and then e-commerce module on that, and then load balancing. So for every server log that you pipe in, it's another 695 bucks." And then um, if you want an additional 100 sites, that's another 695 bucks. So we came up with this whole model for scaling out pricing depending. And it made the software extremely flexible and scalable for all these different environments um, without leaving a ton of money on the table. But we could also scale it to the small guys as well. And I think that, um, that really helped as well as the simplification of our hosting deals. So here's one of the urchins of the days, by the way. Celebrate the crazy moments is another lesson learned, and I'd say this is this is one of those things where we were just laughing. You know, Jack was so sad and he was crying, so frustrated getting this, trying to get this deal done. And I'm, he probably won't like the fact that I keep saying that he was crying, but I mean, he cried like one sort of frustration. It's not as though he was. <laughs> he wasn't. Yeah, um, he's not the most emotional guy usually, but this was like this was a tough deal. Um, there are a lot of crazy moments that I could go into, but oh. I should wrap up here. Um, and the other lesson learned is don't give up, right? Um, plenty of chances for us to give up, and I'm personally happy we didn't. Tom's happy we didn't, right? Um, there's a lot there. Another one is be flexible. Uh, uh, there's a, the E-Myth. Has anyone ever read that book? Some, I forget the author's name. Great author. Read him a long time ago. I still see his work out there. He says, work on your business, not in your business. So one of the key things to being an entrepreneur is, I mean, you have to do the job in your business, right? Like, I, I've done just about every role in the business other than, you know, coding. But I did used to build websites and stuff like that early on. But at the same time that you're working in their, your business, the reason I did so many things is that as soon as you understand one job, you need to hire someone else to do it and move on. So you can be focusing on the systems in your business and make sure everything's working. The sales are working. Um, the support system's working. The you know business development opportunities and the licensing and you know all the little aspects that need to be thought through. A lot of people think they're very product focused. It's just about the product. It's, a, it's the wrong way to approach business. And, and uh, you need to be thinking about all you know scale. And as soon as you understand something, according to the guy who wrote that book, uh, move on and let the other guy do that job so you can manage him because you know how to do his job now. The other one is use what you've got, right? So what we had at the time at Urchin were, strangely, we had all these uh, musicians using our uh, our software. So we got the idea of like, you know, Urchin rocks. It's a great product. And a lot of people would say that. Yeah, it's a great product. It rocks, you know, whatever. Maybe it was a popular thing to say that, and I don't know. Um, but, you know, Faith Hill was using it. So we got, you know, I think these were mock-ups that I'm showing now, and it, used, it would say things like, uh, Urchin Rocks, as used on faithhill.com. And we had Faith Hill and Tim McGraw, and we had, like, uh, all these country singers for some reason. I don't know why. But also Queensryche. I, don't ask. Um, 
we had uh, the Offspring and um, you know Gwen Stefani and all these people. So we had all them endorsing the product on our website. That's what we we used what we had to work with, and that was kind of like you know, I don't know, kind of early two thousands, and then. Uh, some of our designers said, hey, why don't we drill into this underwater theme a little bit more? And so we did, and we added underwater stuff to everything. And so dolphins became part of our thing, and you know, these are some different versions of our website. Wanted to show this one, of course, because uh, this guy right over here. Yeah, you know, we had some you know, big, big customers. SC right on top. True. Yeah, we're very proud of that. A lot of great institutions were using versions. Still, many of them still do. And as you've already seen, there's no end to the underwater theme. There's a key lesson learned. If you're going to go with a theme, pick something that you have a lot of, you know, runway on. I'll show you what I mean. Some of these are kind of cool. This one I liked. The sunken ship here. The dot-com days are over. These days, it's all about conversions. This is a bad pun, but cool photo nonetheless. It may be a beautiful sight, but will anyone go near it? There's a jellyfish on there for people on audio. I like this one a lot. Essential for the life of your business, web analytics, and there's bubbles going up. And then uh, there's sun rays coming through the water. To me, it looks like an upside-down urchin, too. I think we kind of did that intentionally, the spikes. Very, very subliminal. I think we just bought them, some stock photography. This one, um, this one's kind of a strange one because turtles are slow, right? And we're we're boasting about our speed, but we thought it was kind of like in your element, you can be fast. Like this turtle in the water, like he looks like he's kind of cruising, right? Like, so I don't know. Not sure it worked, but I thought this was kind of cool. But if you've ever tried to keep up with a, a sea turtle underwater, that's right. Than yeah, definitely. Yeah, in your element, it's good. So. This one with the, you know, what separates you from your competitors. You've got this little boy over here with it looking into the shark tanks. So. Um, and there's lots of others. And so that's pretty much it for my visuals. I, you know, I, I have to say that um, doing this, I had a great time because uh, I went through all these old, these old images. And I was doing, uh, the Mac's got this, you know, Leopard's got this great feature where it's like all photos that have ever been on your computer you can browse through. I mean, I came across stuff I had no idea was still in there. A lot of stuff, it was like, it was hard for me to get these, some of these without like writing on them because I would pull them, you know, take a, a screenshot of our website and pull it into Photoshop and like write notes on it, like let's fix this or let's change this around or whatever, and send them to our designer. And uh, you know, I was like, wow, what a pain I was back then <laughs> to work with, but it worked out, I guess. So, um, anyhow, questions? Oh, yes, in the back. Um, so I know Google made the version software free. Yes. After acquired it, and I'd love for you to talk about what that meant for your existing customers, what that meant for employees, and sort of the overall vision to build a, a profitable uh, economic business, um, given the fact they made the product free right after they bought it. Yeah. Well, I was trying to touch on it before, but let me actually clarify something. Uh, the question was for the people who aren't mic'd, is that um, uh, after Google made Google Analytics free, um, what is the business model behind it, and the question actually was making Urchin free. The truth is we made Urchin on demand free, but the software version actually is about is just coming out in beta. It's actually available again as a downloadable, you know, installable uh, beta, and that is going to be a paid product. So just to be clear about clear about that, but we don't anticipate a huge amount of adoption there. Maybe there will be a huge amount of adoption. That's just to uh, we have so much demand still from the original Urchin customers. A lot of these guys who are still using it. These guys all want us to. Sorry, I'll address this side too. Um, they all want us to come out with this version, so we are coming out with that again. And many like urgent enthusiasts are very happy about it. But as far as the, the crux of the question, why did Google make Google uh, Google Analytics free? Uh, why not make it a paid model? And the simple answer is that you know anything we could have charged for the product, we, uh, Google has the opportunity to make a lot more money if a lot of people use it to improve the way they're spending their ads. Um, so that's kind of like, again, the non-altruistic reason why Google did it. There's a very clear incentive. It'd be better for us, you know, 
at scale, if we can get you know a ton of advertisers using this, or even non-advertisers, and then get them advertising, because you can show them how, how well the, the whole ad system works, or people coming from search into your website, and then you can make improvements. That you know, it, it just made a lot of sense. And if everyone spends a little bit more on search, it justifies the whole thing many times over. Um, and then, so the altruistic reason, though, is as I said, it, it really helps the entire ecosystem. And we really believe it does. And you know, you talk to people all the time. I see them at trade shows, and they say, "Oh, my site's gotten so much better. It really helps me do all these things." And so, um, I personally think it was one of the smartest things we did with the acquisition. And that's something that we debated for a long time. Yeah. How did your background in political science and international <laughs> relations help you with through enterprise? <laughs> Uh, the question is, how does my background in uh, my major is international relations and political science, double major, by the way, but a lot of crossover. So uh, yeah, I was able to sneak in the double major there. Um, well, we did business internationally in uh, Japan, <laughs> if I can really stretch for that one. Um, but no, I think more than anything, you know, it, well, the answer is it didn't. As the, simple, the simple answer is it, it had no relevance. Uh, but what it did do, I think, is, you know, uh, it, just going to college in general, obviously, uh, teaches you how to think. And by the time I got out of college, I was definitely on my way to thinking these things through. Um, all my friends, by the way, or most of my friends, aside from Jack and Scott and Paul, everyone was saying, hey, let's, you know, what company are you going to go join when you get out of SC? You know, I'm like, I don't know. I never thought about it. it that was not really an interest to me. I didn't really think that way. I said, what do these guys have that we don't? That you know, we're smart people. How come we can't go start a company and do what they're doing? That was kind of my, you know, again my naive attitude toward the whole thing. Now I know how difficult it is, but I still think you know, uh, I, I think you guys should have the same attitude. I'm not saying go don't you know don't go work for Google. It's a good, that's a great place to work too. <laughs> I don't I don't think I probably would have gotten in straight out of college into Google. So well, it didn't exist when I graduated. So. Uh, but in any case, uh, yeah, it had nothing to do with it. So, other questions? Yes. Uh, you had um, the links to the entertainment business and music in particular. Did going to SC or being from Southern California help you at all to build relationships with any of the people in the entertainment? It's a great question. Uh, did my background at SC and you know, kind of like stint and doing things in LA help help us at Urchin and? The answer is just barely. Uh, one of the guys who helped fund our company was a fraternity brother at SC. He started something called uh, Riddler or something like that that was bought by 24-7 Media. Um, and so then he created a thing called Green Thumb Ventures, and he helped us out along the way. Um, and then the other way is that uh, my girlfriend at the time, now my wife, uh, was at Ruben Pastera Interactive, and she made the inter initial introductions there to get us to work on the Honda account. And then, and they were outsourcing some like you know heavy Java stuff to us and very you know heavy programming early uh, early on. But our experience with them gave us the confidence to say, hey, we really have something here. Let's go sell off the rest of the company and and focus on this. But in general, not with the entertainment industry or or other ways. Actually, one of Scott's old friends and a one-time employee helped make some of those relationships. Yeah. What was the cultural shift? Cultural shift from going kind of doing my own thing. Well, uh, it was a, it was a crazy time. Pardon? Even Southern California to Silicon Valley, you think? Yeah, no, definitely. And, and I have to say, like, if I was going to start another company, um, which you know is definitely a possibility, um, I would definitely do it here if it had anything to do with technology. If it's like a hard goods thing, whatever. I've got some other kind of strange concepts that'll probably never happen, but. Um, if I do those, fine. I'll do them in San Diego or someone else or somewhere else, maybe. But if uh, if I'm doing, another, you know, if you're in the technology space, this is definitely the place to be. I think our entire business probably we could have compressed the time from start to acquisition by about, you know, cut it in half had we done it here. So you guys are in the right place if you're planning on going into the tech space. Um, sorry, what was the other part of the question? Just from you know, from your employees, how did oh, the yeah. culture integrate with Google? So most of the people have done very well. Um, uh, some people have moved on and are doing other things. Culturally, it was uh, whiplash we, um, and pretty painful. The, I think the reason it was so painful, though, is not just the culture change. 
it was because part of our deal we had um, dealing with Google's attorneys was not a great time, I have to say. Uh, and Google, I, you know, I think we've gotten a lot better at Google at doing acquisitions. We were like, I don't know, a very early acquisition for Google. And they're willing to pay a heck of a lot more too, which is, you know. Um, but in any case, uh, first of all, dealing with it, it dragged out for a long time before we got the deal done. And then once we got to Google, they were like, okay, we're going to pay you, we think your company is worth X. We're going to pay you half of that in cash. They wanted to do no cash. We're like, no way. What do you think? We are born yesterday. Of course, we turned out to be the idiots. But um, <laughs> not my first time. Um, and so, um, but then they, they said, and then if you hit these other milestones within Google, we'll pay you the rest of it, uh, the second half of the deal. And that was like stock that like basically you get it, but it doesn't actually, you don't actually get it until later. Uh, we were like, the stock's not going to go up from here. This is ridiculous. And um, it was about a year after, a little less than a year after the IPO. Fortunately, we were wrong again. And so um, we got to Google, and we, we couldn't play volleyball and enjoy the pools and you know go to the lounges and things like that and play the video games. We, we had uh, basically about a year to meet these milestones, and they were very serious and some of them fairly painful milestones. Fortunately, we hit them, and that was part of the deal. Um, but for about a year, I knew it was going to be like, as great as the company is to work at, you know, I knew it was going to be brutal, and it was. It was. But, uh, you know, and since then, it, it, the good thing is that it kind of established us as having a very solid work ethic. So all the people that kind of did that worked extremely hard for the first year, and then we continued to work hard and excel. So, yes? Yeah, I'm wondering, you mentioned that uh, musicians somehow use Urchin. What's the reason? I don't know why all these musicians were using Urchin. I have no idea. We, it was just one of those things. Like, it was my, my point was, when I was trying to show the slide, is not, you know, find a niche that's great is work with what you have and we had all these musicians using it i don't know why it was just one of those things we it probably is just that we had all these other you know we had a ton of businesses and we just happened to notice all these music, musicians using it and so we said hey let's let's point this fact out and we did this urchin rocks campaign as i pointed out we also made these guitar picks with urchins on them very cool yes yeah you just mentioned that was also I was just wondering, they have their own tool mm. with the same ASP model, same JavaScript embedding. So what, what was their interest in why was Website Story thinking about acquiring us? They had their own tool, they're in this space. Interestingly enough, I mean, I don't know why this is, but like nine tenths of all web analytics companies have come out of San Diego or for yeah. some strange reason. There's web trends out of, out of uh, Portland and you know, Omnitra out of Orem, Utah. Now there are a few others out of other places, but it was strange. For some reason, everyone was in San Diego. That would have been a very easy acquisition. We could have, instead of going here for work, just you know, across town. Um, their interest was that we had a massive customer base. Their tool was um, much more targeted for the high end of the market, and they wanted a mid-tier solution. Uh, not necessarily quality-wise, but price-wise and what the market was expecting. So they were, they were very interested in doing that. Um, interestingly enough, if you look at their acquisition history, they ended up going the opposite direction and, uh, and acquiring visual sciences, which was kind of like one of the highest end tools in the market, or at least according to the price range, most expensive tools. I think part of the reason that happened and they went that direction is that Google Analytics made it a little more difficult to come down market than it would have been otherwise. Does that answer that well enough? Oh, yeah, that's a good point. So the website story just got acquired uh, by Omniture. Yes, and so the the, our, the web analytics industry is definitely uh, consolidating, and that and that may have worked out fine for us too because then you get the double acquisition situation. But at at this point, I don't see anyone buying Google. But who knows? <laughs> Are we done? I think we're out of time. Oh, yeah. You start off by talking about um, starting this business with your brother and your friends, and do you have any tips for people? You said you know, look around. You might be starting businesses. <laughs> people here on sort of managing personal and business relationships? And it's a good question. Uh, the, sorry, before we end, the question, I'll, I'll answer it quickly, is managing your business and personal relationships in a place like, like Stanford where you may end up doing business with people later. I, I mean, honestly, I would say that the people that tried to have this kind of business persona with me in college, I never really wanted much to do with because they thought, like, hey, maybe we'll do business and we'll keep it kind of on the up and up. I wanted to do business with the people that were very, very real to me 
and that were interesting to me and could, I could connect with on a human level. And so, um, at least in the people that I would want to you know, be in the core meeting with, uh, making really crucial decisions. I wouldn't want that kind of business front between us. So I would say my advice would be be yourself, have fun, you know, do what you're supposed to do while you're at Stanford. Obviously get your education, but also have a, have a great time and let people know who you are and what you're about and your core beliefs. That's what I would say. Scott has a question. I was just going to say the, the number one thing about that that I learned was that um, if you have a dispute with somebody you work with that you started a company with, especially a friend, walk into their office to settle it. Don't do it over email. That's, a, that's great advice. Never do dispute resolution over email. That, that's still great advice, even especially at a company the size of Google. You, you'll, you know, you get in a little, like, who does this person think they are? And then it turns out they were just, they meant nothing, no harm at all. So, anyway. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Oh, thank you.